We'll start today's JX with the debrief, JPR's roundup of this week's news stories. News director Eric Newman joins reporters Roman Battaglia and Jane Vaughn. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. So, Roman, we're going to start with you. You worked on a story this week about a new camping ban that's in the works in Ashland. This is a local reaction to state laws about how to regulate urban camping in Oregon. What is the city discussing? Yeah, so essentially Ashland is talking about updating their current camping ban that they have on the books. Um, They have one, but it hasn't been enforced as much recently because of some court rulings. So basically right now you can't prevent people from camping outside if there's no other place for them to sleep, like a shelter. So these proposed ordinances that they're talking about would make the city code conform to some new state laws, specifically this law that city staff have made up creates this definition between voluntarily and involuntarily homeless people. So if you're involuntarily homeless, you didn't choose to be homeless, essentially. You might have been kicked out or evicted or have health problems or um, drug addictions or something like that that didn't really choose to be homeless. Um, And usually that's like a temporary situation. And voluntarily homeless people essentially choose to be homeless. So there are people who might have access to places to sleep, like a city shelter, but they just refuse to do so and instead decide to take up public spaces. So, you know, in these proposed ordinances, involuntarily homeless people will basically have some more flexibility and consideration when, you know, the police are enforcing the law, um, such as, you know, if there's no space in a city shelter, involuntarily homeless people have a lot more places they could go to sleep than someone who is voluntarily homeless. Um, Which, to be clear, Ashland is not making a distinction between whether somebody has a drug addiction or has been kicked out of their home. They're just saying, if you're not taking advantage of existing services, then we're considering you voluntarily homeless. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So basically, like, if there is a space in a shelter that we could take you to and provide shelter for you and you refuse, that is voluntarily homeless. Um, And so... You know, basically, it also just sets some rules on, you know, people who are homeless with cars, how they can use their cars, and then sets some rules on how they can remove campsites as well. So the city is basically trying to prevent people from taking up public spaces so that they could be used by everyone. So homelessness and urban camping has become a bigger issue in communities like Ashland, but it's by no means anything new. What is the context about why these regulations are being discussed right now? Yeah, so this comes because pretty much after some court rulings on homelessness and camping bans like this, um, one came from Grants Pass just nearby, another one was from Boise in Idaho, and they basically ban cities from enforcing these camping bans if there is no place for people to go, like a shelter. So you can't kick someone off the streets if there isn't a shelter for them to go to or there's nowhere else for them to camp. And so the city of Grants Pass was enforcing some really strict laws, and that's why that court ruling came down. Mm -hmm. And Ashland and Oregon as a whole is facing this homelessness crisis. Um, Governor Tina Kotek signed a homelessness emergency declaration at the start of her term back in January. And then the state also passed these laws a couple of years ago that came into effect this summer, which were also sponsored by Tina Kotek when she was the speaker. And these defined... Uh, basically that any city laws regulating camping have to be reasonable in their restrictions. And they also have to like account for 
homeless people when they're regulating the use of public property, accounting for their hardships and recognizing that homeless people need a place to stay. Mm -hmm. Um, The first one was called HB 3115, which kind of defines a lot of that stuff. And then the other law also talked about how cities can regulate the removal of campsites for homeless people. So the city of Ashland in this stuff is basically trying to balance respecting the hardships that homeless people face, and also trying to make sure that the public spaces like parks and sidewalks and plazas remain open for everybody. That's kind of been the big concern from a lot of residents is that, you know, some homeless individuals, not all of them, may take up kind of large areas in city parks or sidewalks, and then people can't use those spaces if they want to. Um, The city also opened an emergency homeless shelter last week using state funds partially through that emergency homeless declaration. And so because they now have the shelter where people could go to, um, there's more options for homeless people. And now the city can kind of rework their camping ban laws and actually enforce them. So this is kind of the latest in a series of steps related to homelessness here locally, where there was this state law that kind of set out what the guidelines were. Then Ashland opened this temporary homeless shelter, which kind of was its own news item when that first happened. And now they're trying to actually define what the rules are in terms of regulating where people can camp. Yeah. And this has been kind of happening across, you know, the region and every city. Every city has kind of been opening up shelters and then also reworking their camping ban laws to, you know, fit in with these state laws and with these court rulings. So uh, what are the different approaches that members of the Ashland City Council are taking with this issue? Yeah, so they met on Monday night to have this like study session where they talked about these proposals. Um, The council members are kind of trying to thread the needle of the balancing the respect of homeless people and also enforcing these laws. So, you know, Dylan Bloom, a fairly new council member, um, he talked a lot about, you know, wanting some of these proposed rules to be stricter. Um, One of those proposals was extending some of these buffer zones, including around schools to 500 feet um, to match what Medford's rules are. Right now, they're at 250 feet in the draft ordinance. And then he also wanted to impose some stricter penalties for violations of the camping ban. Right now, the maximum fine is $250, which is what it is in Ashland's current law, and that would remain the same under the draft right now. But, um, you know, he also talked about, you know, increasing that to include the possibility of jail time or community service as well. Hmm. Um, Talking a little bit about how homeless people like can't afford those fines was part of his reasoning there. But some of that was pushed back by another city council member, Bob Kaplan. He said basically that he wanted to see a map of those buffer zones before making a decision Mm -hmm. if 500 feet was right. Because if you think about it, 500 feet is 1.4 football fields long Hmm. or a 50 story building. So that's a really big distance to stay away from a place like a school or, you know, the freeway exits or whatever. And, you know, Ashland is a small city. It's a lot smaller than Medford, which has those big buffers. So that could really limit where people would be allowed to even go in the city if they had to sleep anywhere. And that especially includes if you start to include more public spaces, there was talk about not just including Lithia Park or parks with playgrounds, but including every park in the city. so that could really limit stuff. Um, he was also concerned about those increased penalties, including the possibility for misdemeanor, because you know having a homeless person with a criminal record, it could hurt their chances to get permanent housing, which kind of defeats the whole purpose. I mean, we want people who are homeless to actually get permanent housing. So the city is going to work on creating some maps to visualize what these restrictions would look like. I'm looking forward to those just to see 
what, how big of these buffers and how they would actually affect the city. And then they're going to work on the proposal in terms of those other issues that were brought up. Okay. And what's the timeline for when any actual ordinance uh, or rule might be finalized? Yeah. So the city staff, like I said, is going to work on this proposal. Um, the mayor, Tanya Graham, said they hope to see a proposal in front of the city council by the end of November. And then the process of approving an ordinance like this will take a few weeks and a couple of city council meetings. So there's going to be opportunities more for public comment and for people to weigh in. So they're kind of hoping to get this done by the end of the year because there's a little bit of urgency with these laws because right now with the current laws, you know, the police force is really limited in its ability to enforce these camping restrictions because they don't follow the state laws or the court ruling. So they're trying to get their new laws on the books so they can actually enforce them. Okay. Thanks, Roman. Yeah. Okay, Jane, we're going to turn to you now um, to talk about local election results from the special election that happened on Tuesday. Uh, what were some of the big races that you were following? The big one for me was the Josephine County Law Enforcement Service District. So the sheriff's office there has been really chronically underfunded um, for years, and that's partially low property taxes and partially decreased funding from federal timber payments. So they've been really trying to get stability for years. You know, the sheriff, Dave Daniel, has really been trying to make his case. And the big news for me was that it is actually seems on track to pass. Wow. Um, to be fair, these results are not certified yet, but uh, so far it looks like about 51% of voters uh, voted to approve it, um, which means it passed. So that's honestly kind of surprising. Uh, last year, the voters voted down a 3% seasonal sales tax that would have funded the department. Um, so I, I don't know how optimistic we, we were about this, since you know, Josephine County tends to not vote for, for taxes or things like that. Uh, the department is currently being supported by American Rescue Plan Act money. Mm -hmm. um, so when I talked to Dave Daniel, he said he was pretty relieved about this. This was a, a good day for him. Um, so this new service district is basically going to increase the property tax rate in Josephine County, excluding Grants Pass, by about 99 cents per thousand dollars of assessed value. It's estimated to raise over five and a half million dollars in its first year, uh, up to six million in its third year. And then that money is going to be used to fund patrol and dispatch services for the sheriff's department. So that includes like 20 to 25 new deputies, hmm. new dispatchers, new evidence techs. Um, so when I talked to Dave Daniel, he said he wasn't exactly sure when they're going to be able to access this money. He wasn't sure when it quite goes into effect. But it's it's a lot of money, obviously, and it's a good way for him to start sort of building up the staffing of his department again. Wow. Yeah, that's the perennial law enforcement fundraising story that exactly. we've covered so many times. Um, you also covered some recall elections over on the South Coast uh, in uh, Brookings. Tell us about that. Yeah, so there was a triple recall in, in Brookings, uh, in Oregon, for two of the city councilors and the mayor. Hmm. And basically, this all stems from the reinstatement of the Brookings city manager, Janelle Howard, who was uh, reinstated back in January. She had been caught shoplifting from a Fred Meyer, and she was placed on paid administrative leave, and then obviously later reinstated, which some people were unhappy about. And so the recall elections were held for the Brookings city councilors, Ed Schreiber and Michelle Morosky, as well as the mayor, Ron Hedensgog. Hmm. And all three of them were recalled by about 
about 70% of voters, so really wow. two to one, um, voting them out of office. So um, next steps, they're, they're basically going to sort of continue in their roles until the results are, are certified, which has to happen no later than 35 days after the election. And then they really don't have a quorum anymore because their two city councilors and the mayor will be gone and there's two people left. So then the vacancies have to be filled by a special election so they can uh, continue to get some business done. Okay. Um, other local elections, there were some interesting votes that happened in local schools. What uh, caught your eye with those kind of elections? So I've been covering some stuff that's been happening down in the Gateway Unified School District down in Reading which has a, a lot of turmoil that's been happening recently. So the, the school board president, Cheryl Clifford, resigned back in January, and she was only there for a few months. Um, and then the remaining four school board members tried to appoint someone to fill that seat. Three times they tried, and they were unable to agree. They always deadlock two to two. And so after they tried three times, it then has to head to a special election so the voters can, can appoint someone to, to fill the seat. And there's also been some other turmoil in this in this school board. Um, they had voted to fire the district's longtime superintendent without cause back in December. Some of the members are accused of violating the state's open meeting law. Um, some of the board members have been sued because they had voted to bypass the board's procedures when they hired the new superintendent. So there's a lot going on there. And it's all kind of, you know, come to a head with this school board election of trying to fill this this fifth vacant seat. Hmm. So the options were Camille King and Casey Bowden. And uh, Camille King was sort of more focused on parental involvement and says she's been frustrated by mandatory masking and testing requirements during COVID. Uh, Bowden has said he, he wants to focus on stability and avoiding litigation for the district and, and sort of moving forward. And uh, again, the results are not, not um, certified, but so far Bowden seems to have won. He's gotten about 57% of the vote. And so now they have a, a full five-member board and, and can hopefully um, get, get going again and move past those deadlocks. And then I've also just been covering a, a couple other um, school votes in the region. Uh, most of them have been voted down, actually. Uh, Douglas County voters voted down some bonds for the Oakland School District, mm -hmm. and they also voted down a levy for the Sayusla School District. And then Jackson County voters had some bonds for the Eagle Point School District, and they voted down those as well. So those school votes uh, didn't do very well this election. Hmm. Well, thank you for keeping tabs on this in uh, the local election roundup version of the debrief. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can reach the newsroom with comments about our coverage or suggestions of things that you think we should be covering in the future through our news tip line. You can find that on our website at ijpr.org. Uh, you can find this program and more on our website at jeffexchange.org, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms. Don't go away. We'll be back with our food segment, Savor. Our host visits with a regional maker of artisanal goat cheese. <laughs>